Good morning, Family Church. Would you open your Bibles to John chapter 12? John chapter 12 will be in verse 27 this morning. We're going to look at a couple of aspects in these couple of verses, 27 through 36. You'll notice in your bulletin this morning a double-sided page here. One of the verses that we're going to be covering is going to be discussing, it's going to be a springboard for us as we're discussing Satan demons, demonic activity in the world today, and really who is the ruler of the world today. That's some discussion we're going to get into from this text. So let's begin in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 27. Jesus says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it had said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Others answered, or Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Would you pray with me as we open and read through God's word this morning? God, as we approach your word, we've read it already. God, help us to remember and to know this is your word. That we are interacting with you this morning. It is not just us hearing a book being read, but it's actually hearing from you. God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you may use me this morning as an instrument to reveal truth. Holy Spirit, may you open our eyes and open our minds to what you would have us to know that we may be more faithful and obedient followers of Christ. God, we thank you for our time, for the worship we've been able to experience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we've seen through the book of John, we saw last week in John chapter 11 that a couple of things were happening for the first time. One of which was Jesus, up until John 12, was always his future hour, was always in the future. His hour to come was always something that was far off. He said the Jews would try to arrest him, but he said his hour was not yet. And here we come in John 12, and it says, My hour has arrived, or my hour is at hand. We also saw from last week in John chapter 11, all the way through the first portion of John, is that the Jewish people were seeking after Jesus. We come to John 11, and all of a sudden the Jewish people are turning away from Jesus. And that door of ministry is closing. And what we have entering here in John chapter 12 is we see Gentiles approaching. When the door is closing to the Jewish people, the door is swinging open to the Gentile people, everyone who is non-Jewish. And in chapter 12, we see Jesus discussing with both the Jewish people and the Gentiles this crowd. In our passage this morning, Jesus makes reference to this brand new audience of Gentiles Look with me in John chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus says this, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, this phrase lifted up refers to both his physically being lifted up on the cross, but also his glorification 
and the victory of Christ on the cross. So this is a physical lifting up on, on the cross, but it's also a spiritual lifting up as well. Jesus goes on to say in the rest of verse 32, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Chuck, if you can, there's a, a, a loud ringing whenever I go up in volume a little bit. And I thought I was going to make it through the whole sermon with it, but I don't think I can. So sorry about that. I don't know if you can all hear it, but whenever I go up. So verse 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. I want to pause here and touch base on this verse for a second. Jesus is declaring for really the first time in open language the good news of Jesus Christ is not just for the Jewish people. It is for anyone and everyone who would look upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Repeating in verse 32, he's talking to Gentiles, he's talking to Jewish people, and he's saying, I will draw anyone, regardless of your religious background, your ethnic background, that anyone who looks upon Jesus Christ can have forgiveness of sins. We saw this first in John chapter 3. If you turn a couple of chapters back in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, Jesus makes this reference. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is comparing his physically being lifted up and spiritually being lifted up, just like the serpent on the staff Back in the Old Testament, we see the the people were poisoned. There was poison flowing through their blood. And the only way they would be healed is if they looked upon a bronze serpent that was held up on a staff. And Moses held this up, and anyone who looked at it would be healed. They looked in faith. There's nothing in power with a bronze serpent on a stick. But God commanded them to do so, and if they did so in faith, they would have been healed. The same is true of Jesus Christ today. All who would turn their eye and look upon Jesus Christ, what he's done for you, would in faith be healed. We have the same poison flowing through our veins today, and that poison is sin. And that's why Jesus came. So he's making this reference that anyone who faith would look upon Jesus Christ would be saved, regardless of if you're a Jew or now a Gentile. He is declaring that all kinds of people without distinction can come to himself. Verse 33, he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. The the audience knew that he was talking about his death and that they related his death and their healing with one and the same action. As we move on, I want us to touch base on verse 31. We're going to spend the remaining of our time on verse 31 as a springboard into our discussion. Verse 31 says this, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Who is the ruler of this world? 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us plainly, Satan, who is the God of this world. So in the New Testament, it shows Satan was the God, is the God of this world. Verse 31, Jesus says he's going to be casting Satan out of this world. So this morning, the goal is for us to see a proper theology of Satan, his demons, and his work in the world today. So as we begin, I want to first say what I'm not saying. And I'm saying first that Satan does exist. Demons do exist. Supernatural, spiritual Elements of this do exist. Demonic possessions do exist. And many of these are rare. But they do exist and they do happen. 
Ephesians 6 verse 12 tells us this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning other individuals, but our battle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. In John 12, 31, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. The ruler of this world will be cast out. What did he mean when he says he's going to be cast out? And what does that mean for us today? Well, it's often taught in many prominent Christian circles today that God has allowed Satan to be in control today and that Satan's the one ruling. And until Jesus Christ comes back, Jesus isn't really ruling, Satan's ruling. And it's not until Jesus comes back that Jesus is going to be ruling. But I believe that to be false according to the New Testament. So this morning we're actually going to look at 14 points that I have outlined in that outline and multiple scriptures that show Jesus standing and in, in Satan's standing in the world today. To begin with, Satan is a created being. Thus, Satan is under the authority of his creator, God. Many times it's spoken of like Satan has equal power with God. He does not. He is a creation. And as a creation, he is under the authority of his creator. Satan did not always exist. As God's creation, Satan is bound by certain limitations. He can only do what God says he can do. And he only has as much power as God allows him to have. We see in the Old Testament that Satan had to receive permission before he could do anything to Job. And we're going to see this morning that He has been severely limited through the cross of Jesus Christ. Satan has less power through the cross than he's ever had in the history of the world. What about these scriptures that reference Satan as the God of this world? Gary DeMar shares with us this. So then what does Paul mean when he describes Satan as the God of this world? Actually, the God of this age. To hear some people tell it, this verse teaches that Satan has all power and authority on planet earth where God is the God of heaven and the age to come, and Satan is the God of this world and this present evil age. This dualistic view of the universe may be a part of Greek philosophy, but it has no place in biblical theology. So the question is raised, is this Satan's world and we are all just spies in it? Or is this God's world where Satan has been struck down and he's awaiting eternal judgment? Two very different views, but two different views that are taught in Christian circles today. So what type of world do we live in? Let's touch base on our 14 points this morning. This list came from biblical counselor Jay Adams from his book, uh, The Christian Counseling Manual. We have that book available in our Well bookstore if you would like to look at it at the end of service. Beginning in uh, point number one, Satan is bound. Satan is bound. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. It's on your page here as well. Jesus is doing miraculous healings. He's sending demons out of spiritually possessed people. And the, the crowd around him says this. He is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan be casting out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. And look at verse 27. But no one can enter a strong man's house. The strong man in this illustration is Satan. 
No man, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his good. The house is his world, Satan's world. So this world and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And if he binds the strong man, Jesus says, then indeed he may plunder his house. The whole reference is that Jesus has power over Satan and he has bound Satan. And now he's going after his people that are possessed. And he's casting Satan out of these people. And he's saying, the only reason I can do so is because I'm stronger and greater than Satan. And I've come and I've bound him. And that's why I'm able to plunder his house. We see this again in Luke 11, verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, which Jesus was doing, casting out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, has come upon us if he was, in fact, casting out demons. And we know Jesus was casting out demons, which means we are living in some sense of the kingdom now. Verse 21, when a strong man, fully armed, this is a reference to Satan, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he, stronger than Satan, attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he has trusted and divides his spoil. Point number one, Satan is bound. Point number two, Satan's power is restricted and restrained. In Luke chapter 20, we read this, Simon Peter, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But Jesus goes on and says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And he wasn't able to overtake Simon Peter because the prayer of Jesus Christ protected him. The same is true for us today. Do we realize and understand Jesus Christ has prayed the same type of prayers for all believers for all eternity? The same prayer that protects Simon Peter is the same type of prayer that protects us. John seventeen fifteen. Jesus said this in his high priestly prayer, I do not ask that you take them, the Christians, us, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Satan's power has been restricted and restrained. Specifically here, we see even by the prayers of Jesus Christ. Point three, Satan has been rendered powerless over believers. Hebrews 2.14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, He might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil. Through whose death? The death of Jesus Christ. This is not a future destruction of the works of the power and of the devil. This was a present destruction in the New Testament that it was through the death of Jesus Christ that he would put to death, death itself and the works of Satan. It was through his death. Not a future coming death, but Jesus passed death on the cross. Point four, Satan is defeated disarmed and spoiled. Colossians 2.15, it says, Jesus disarmed the rulers, the authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Mark 3.27, a verse we've already read, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Satan has been defeated. He's disarmed and spoiled. Point five, Satan has fallen and was thrown down. We see this multiple times in the New Testament, but here's one. Luke 10, 18, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Point six, Satan's kingdom has been replaced by God's kingdom. You see this all of Daniel chapter seven, but Luke 11, verse 20, which we've covered, 
If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is not Satan's kingdom. It's God's kingdom we live in. John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Jesus says, now, now is the judgment. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. So Jesus tied Satan's doom with his death on the cross. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been what? Given to me. Given to me. And so this is why he tells us to go, therefore, because we have been given all authority and all power. All authority means how much? All. And so Jesus has all authority. It's not that he's partly authority and Satan has all the rest of the authority. No, Jesus has all authority here on earth. Point number seven. Satan was crushed under the foot of the early Christians. Romans chapter 16, verse 20. Now, this letter was written to the Roman church. So, this letter given to this, this church in the New Testament, it says, Romans sixteen twenty. The God of peace will soon... Soon means what, church? Soon. Okay? It's not 2,000 years later. Soon... He's speaking to these Christians. They would have received this book of Romans, this letter of Romans. And it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Theirs. Not our feet, but their feet. And so we read this saying, Satan was crushed under their feet. The early church, the early Christians in the book of Rome. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Satan would soon be crushed. Soon means soon. His kingdom was finally crushed within a few short years in the first century. This is exactly what we read in the New Testament and within history. Chapter 8, Satan has lost authority over Christians. Excuse me, point 8. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Delivered us and transferred us. Point nine, Satan cannot touch a Christian. Satan cannot touch a Christian. If you're a Christian this morning, you have nothing to fear in regards to Satan because the only power he has is power you give him or power God gives him for your good. We're going to look at that shortly. 1 John 5.18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God, God protects him and the evil one does not touch him him. Point 10, Satan's works have been destroyed. 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Listen to that last line. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. It's past tense. His appearance went co in hand with the destruction of Satan. His appearing signified that Satan's works would soon be destroyed. Point 11, Satan has nothing. John 14, 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. Point 12, Satan must flee when resisted. At the end of our service, shortly, we're going to sing the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. We're going to sing this hymn. And this 
Him begins with talking about Satan and demons in this world and their power. But by the end of the song, you see that he doesn't have any power because of by the cross of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The song comes more towards an ending in verse 3 where we sing this. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God had willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. We don't tremble at Satan anymore because of the victory of Jesus Christ. His rage we can't endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. One little word will fell him. Where do we see that in scripture? James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. It doesn't say attack the devil. It doesn't say go after the devil. It just says you focused on bringing God glory when you're focused on God living out Christian character. It says Satan runs away from people like that. Our defensiveness in nature just focused on God, focused on Jesus Christ, the gospel, living a righteous life. It says that makes Satan run away. That's the type of enemy that we face. He can't, even, he can't even attack someone like that. We either have to open the door to him or it's by God allowing Satan to attack us and it's always for our good if that happens. 2 Corinthians twelve seven. This is where we see this. I'm sure you're familiar with this text. This is Paul in the thorn in the flesh. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Notice that Paul was given... Right? He was given a thorn. Given sounds almost like a gift, doesn't it? Given a thorn in the flesh, ultimately for his good, so he doesn't become conceited. And Paul pleaded for it to be taken away, and who did he plead with? God. The only person who had the power and authority to take it away, right? The one who gave it? Paul pleaded with him to take it away. God was the one who had the power to remove it, though God allowed him to keep it. The same one who gave it had the power to take it. As believers, we're called to resist Satan. And just resisting him and standing firm in the faith makes him run away. Church, do we see we're dealing with a defeated foe? Yes, he is powerful, but he's no match and he's no power compared to the power of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit living within us. Point 13, his Minions, Satan's minions, likewise, have been cast out. They've been subject to the authority of Christians, overcome by Christians. They've been bound in chains. I have a, a couple of verses here for this. Matthew chapter 10 through 12, Mark 127 says, They were all amazed that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Mark 6, Luke 9, Luke 10. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do we see Satan is no match for the Lord? Satan is not king. 
He is a created being and he has been defeated by the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we might be left with the questions. If Satan has been defeated, why is there so much evil in the world today? I mean, if this is God's kingdom, why is there so much happening in the world? And why is there ISIS? And why is this happening and persecutions happening to Christians? Well, we're going to cover that in our last point this morning. Point 14, Satan's power over unbelievers is still great. Satan's power over unbelievers is still great. 1 John 5.19, For we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So ultimately, Jesus Christ, this is his kingdom, and he is the king, but the unbelievers, he's not their king. Ultimately, they are, but they don't submit to him as king. One day they will. We see that. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. But until that day, they are focused on their father, and Scripture says their father is Satan. And so we see here that the whole world is a reference to the unbelievers. The majority of this world, unfortunately, are unbelievers. And so those who are unbelievers, they're under the power and control of Satan. So demonic activity, demonic possessions, evil, all of these things do happen. And many times, and even the sin or the the desires of the flesh, I mean, we all have still those to struggle with, the desires of the flesh. So 2 Timothy 2.26, it says that Satan can take a believer captive to do his will when he wants to do it. It says that they, the unbelievers, may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So those who dabble in the occult, witchcraft, and black magic type stuff are especially opening themselves up to demonic activity. As believers, we should stay far away from such things. Scripture says, but by God's grace, we're able to overcome evil. Romans 12, 21, do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to touch base on a, a couple of other things here. We see that Satan doesn't have power unless we open the door for him to have power. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members with one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Right? Another translation you might be familiar of is a foothold. If you're climbing a wall and you, don't, you can't go any farther, you need a foothold to get a leg up. And so picture Satan in a hole. He can't get out unless we give him a foothold, unless we give him a hand up. This is the way we should see Satan in our life. A defeated, powerless foe who who can't get into our life unless we open the door into our life. And we also need to understand that often Satan is blamed for majority of our sins. Like we sin and then we blame Satan or demonic forces when it's really the, the desire of the flesh. And if it's a defeated foe, Of course, he's going to love that we're giving him any type of gain, that we're attributing to him something that he can't even really have. This is what it looks like. Many times it's said today that Satan is alive and well in the world today. 
When you hear that, we should say, yes, Satan is alive. But I hope you see from the text this morning that he's not well. He's doing worse than he's ever been doing in the history of the world, and it's through the cross of Jesus Christ. He's went from bad to worse, and the only thing he has to look forward to is coming judgment from God the Father. I want to end here with a couple of practical applications of why this is so important to understand. For starters, I want to warn us because there are so many ministries that are focused, and it's a ministry of God, but they're focused on the demonic activities. They're focused on deliverance. They're focused on spiritual possessions. They're focused on Satan. They're focused on all these types of things rather than focused on Jesus Christ and his gospel. We should not be focused on a defeated enemy. If he's defeated, he's defeated, right? We don't need to defeat a defeated enemy. So our theology of Satan, demons, and spirits can affect how we respond and handle our emotions, our feelings, and our situations. For instance, it's openly taught in many circles that depression, anger, resentment, pride, legalism, jealousy, that these are all the result of a spirit. A spirit living within you is often taught. For instance, and I quote, A spirit of rebellion. Listen to how this is attributed. This is the description of a spirit of rebellion. Its chief aim is to undermine authority. It has trouble submitting to authority and is put off by those who exercise authority. Sounds like my toddler has a spirit of rebellion, right? Just trying to get him to eat things he even likes. Why is that such a problem? Well... I would say his flesh has no desire for his parents to tell him what to do. So he resents it. But in many Christian circles, it would be called a spirit of rebellion. But do you notice that they give this spirit an identity? Listen to how they describe it. Its chief aim is to undermine authority. It has trouble submitting to authority. So when you're talking to someone and they're not obeying and submitting to authority, who, who's responsible here? Is it the spirit or is it the individual? See, that's, that's the problem. When you attribute something to the spirit, now how do you help that person? How do you give them God's word? How can that person change at all if it's the spirit within them who's making them do something or not do something? So we're dealing with spiritual issues, but it's not a spirit that we're dealing with. Maybe a spirit within that person, but it's not the identity. It's not something from outside of themselves, living within themselves, causing them to do an action. There's a great difference here. The Bible clearly teaches that our sinful flesh doesn't want to submit to others. So it's a spiritual issue. There's very many more spirits that are out there. A Jezebel spirit is another name for a spirit. Maybe you've heard of that before. And there was countless spirits that were just given names of, of things that, that I could have um, brought to you this morning. But a Jezebel spirit in another person can make you feel drained when you are around them. How many of you know someone that you could say, oh, maybe there's a name that popped into your head of who that person could be, right? I mean, how many times have you met with someone and you're talking about deep spiritual issues or family issues or whatever's going on and you leave that conversation drained? They would say that person has a Jezebel spirit. Every Sunday after I'm done preaching, 
I could say all of you have a Jezebel spirit. Because I leave and I'm exhausted. I don't take naps, but every Sunday I feel like I have to have a nap. Well, I would just say that we're engaged in conversation. We're bearing one another's burdens. We're pouring out our emotions. When you're sitting with someone and you leave that conversation and you're drained, it's probably because you were engaged. I can have meetings and I can have conversations with people and leave feeling refreshed. And how I do it and how you probably do it is you don't really pay attention You don't ask questions. You're not involved. You're not emotionally connected. They're talking about something and you're just, oh yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." Well, if if you're doing it the right way, you're going to leave exhausted. That's what it means to bear one another's burdens, to have a love for one another. It's not a spirit. And there's so much of this spiritual aspect, spiritual language. So how do you get rid of these spirits? And I'm telling you this just so you're aware of it and you're cautious about it. Maybe there's people that you know that live in this type of world. How you get rid of a Jezebel spirit is by a prayer. They often teach these are generational spirits that your great grandparent maybe had it and your grandparent and then your father might have had it and this has been passed down along these generations. And so they say, well, you need to see this and you need to first identify where it came from. And they say you need to pray things like this. Father, in Jesus' name, I repent on behalf of my family members, such and such, for operating in the spirit of Jezebel. Are we ever called to repent on behalf of someone else? That's a Catholic form of teaching. We don't repent on behalf of someone else. They have the same prayers for a spirit of depression. I cancel the spirit of depression that's living within me right now that would seek to pull me down and shut me up. Church, the scriptures teach us very clearly how to handle depression. Very clearly. Very clearly how to handle gossip and resentment and pride. And when we're having issues with authority, there's clear scriptures that say how to stop doing it and how to start doing other godly things. There's other spirits that are routinely taught. Spirit of legalism, spirit of pride, spirit of accusation, spirit of the fear of man. All of these are just sin issues. They're not spirit issues, they're sin issues. I want to share a firsthand situation that I encountered some time back. There was, picture two individuals, two Christians, partnering together in ministry. And there was a great division amongst these two individuals. And there was those around them who would come and say, listen, you guys are like family. You guys are are doing this for Jesus Christ and you're trying to do these ministries together and Satan would just love nothing, nothing more than just to break this all apart. And so because they attributed this work to Satan, they would enter into prayer meetings and they would say, you know, we pray in the name of Jesus that Satan would just leave this place and that Satan would get out of your minds and that he would leave this property. When in reality, from the outside looking in, there was clear blatant sin issues on one of their behalf. It wasn't Satan, but here they're attributing the power to Satan, who's a defeated foe, but there was clear sin, clear sin, but they were overlooking it. When you overlook a clear sin in your life and you attribute the power to Satan, you've you've all of a sudden lost the remedy to be cured, and now you're giving Satan more power and authority than he really has. Even just this week, this week as we were preparing for this sermon There was a couple of us, as staff, even as elders, we got into a spat over the preparation of the sermon. 
And we had a little mini debate that got intense, lasted for about 30 minutes. Some of the responses and reactions were not as they should have been amongst our pastoral team. And this is how life is. How easy we could have said, we're we're preparing to preach a, a sermon on Satan. And this is just Satan wanting to divide us. When in reality, the real issue is that I just work with a bunch of sinners here at the church. Right? And I'm one of them. They work with a bunch of sinners too. And so it's not Satan who's getting into our offices and in our minds who made me say that. It's my sin. We see in James 4.1, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your ways are better than your co-workers' ways? It says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? They have passions. You have passions. You let those passions come out because your passions are better than their passions, right? And you start fighting over them. And so how did we resolve this? It wasn't, it wasn't ignoring what happened and attributing it to Satan and going to God. It was, there was sin. And so what do you do when there's sin? Well, you go and you apologize. You see your sin. You ask for forgiveness. And there's forgiveness that's granted. And so our team did that. And it wasn't like this big fight, so don't leave here, you know, thinking that there's division or anything. This is just happens all the time. It probably happens in your life, I would, I would think, It happens in my life all the time. We see our sin. We take care of our sin. I go. I apologize to my wife. I say, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry I said that. Would you forgive me? I forgive you. Now there's restoration. Now there's reconciliation. Satan is a defeated foe. It's our sin issue. It's our sinful flesh. It is a spiritual issue. It's not a spirit. It's a flesh issue. Christ did not have it in mind for him to die on the cross for our sin So that we could have victory over this life. We could have victory over our flesh. We could have victory over Satan. And then to continue living this life attributing power to Satan. Attributing power to the demonic forces that he has put to shame. So when we sin, we need to see it as a spiritual issue. Yes, demons are real. Satan is real. But the cross of Jesus Christ is real as well. I want to end by this quote from Gary DeMar. When the church makes Satan the God of this world, it has fallen for one of the devil's schemes, giving Satan more credit and power than he deserves. He is quite satisfied in having anyone believe one of his lies. The cross, the empty tomb, and Jesus' enthronement changed everything. What a victory we have in Jesus Christ through the power of his blood, his death, and his resurrection. Would you pray with me as we go into worship declaring these truths? God, we thank you this morning that we have victory in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the blood that covers us. We thank you for what you've done in our life. God, may we not attribute sin issues in our life as anything other than sin issues, flesh issues, God, we we thank you that you have prayed for us to protect us from Satan, to protect us from the evil one. God, we thank you that that's something we don't have to continue to pray. It's something you have prayed on our behalf. And your word teaches us if we stand firm in the faith and we resist the devil, he flees from us. He is a defeated foe. God, we thank you for your victory. God, we pray for victory in all areas of our life. We pray for the the struggle against our flesh. 
how easy it is to, to walk in the desires of the flesh and to sin. God, we pray when we do that that your Holy Spirit may convict us. God, may we run to righteousness. We thank you for your forgiveness that you offer us daily. God, we love you. We give you praise as we enter into worship with you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.